Looks like new on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the Old Fashioned Radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, our guest is Santiago Siri, founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation, which is a nonprofit building incorruptible digital governance for small and large communities. And one of the communities he is building for is the Democratic Caucus of the Colorado State House of Representatives. The question that we're exploring this, uh, this uh, month is, what is the next phase for democracy? Now, this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time. I've been watching uh, Santiago Siri's work uh, for years now and only recently um, had the chance to meet him. We're in a moment of crisis for democracy around the world. Uh, but democracy doesn't just need defense. A lot of times we see people talking about, you know, mounting more lawsuits, protecting institutions, defending um, things that people have done for generations. Uh, but, you know, maybe what democracy really needs is a better offense. It needs to evolve to address the shortcomings that led to the crisis in the first place, that led to people feeling that the system wasn't serving them, wasn't responsive to them. And, and few people have understood this uh, like Santi Siri. In Buenos Aires, where he's from, he was founder of Partido de la Red, uh, which translates to Party of the Net. It was an early internet-based party that set out to hack the process of city government in Buenos Aires. And, and it aspired to elect representatives who would commit to voting, not just however they or their parties told them to vote, but as their constituents directed them on an online platform. So you elect someone to office, but then they have to vote. They commit to voting in the ways that their constituents tell them to vote on each particular issue. So it was a kind of hack of representative politics, turning that representative from somebody who has the freedom to do what they want as long as they're in office to someone who's a kind of proxy for the um, uh, ongoing uh, expressions of will uh, of their constituents. You know, really interesting move from representative democracy uh, to a kind of direct democracy. Now that project has uh, uh, has uh, uh, passed a bit, but now uh, Siri is working on a new effort uh, employing blockchain technology, the same stuff that underlies Bitcoin, using secure programmable digital tokens to bring democratic practices into everyday life beyond the occasional ballot box. This project, Democracy Earth, uh, offers a range of tools through which people can um, uh, uh, can can express their preferences, make collective decisions, um, all uh, using the secure uh, underlying ledger technologies of, uh, of the blockchain uh, that prevents uh, 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 the kind of um, tampering that we might uh, be concerned about, uh, especially around digital ballot boxes and things like this. It's uh, a technique that allows us to um, uh, have more trust in the tech that's being used to uh, handle people's preferences. Um, it's a really exciting project, uh, not only because of the technology involved, but also the broader foundations uh, and, and philosophical visions that, uh, that Siri offers and, and uh, uh, comes to this effort with. 
Santi, when did the future of democracy begin to matter for you? Uh, great question. Um, I think that I transitioned from being a technology entrepreneur uh, into a political hacktivist um, back in 2012 uh, when I was first invited to this event held by the World Economic Forum in Mexico. It was the first time that I went to an event that was much more in connection to the world of politics than my ordinary web industry events. And there I met uh, a lot of activists from the region, from Latin America. I met this guy, Giorgio Jackson, who was a Chilean, uh, today is a Chilean congressman. He was the leader of the student movement, was my age, around 26, 27 years old. And he, uh, he understood how to speak about digital culture as well. So there I saw for the first time an activist of my generation and able to talk about politics using our language. So when I went back to Buenos Aires, I started, along with some colleagues and friends, this political party. And we started exploring how we can use technology and the internet to improve the quality of our representatives and our democracy as a whole. And tell us a bit about what you did to, to build that party. What did it take? I mean, how is it different from building another kind of political party? Who had to come together in order to make this happen? So it's, it's kind of a perfect storm that needs to happen uh, because political parties are not a device that is investable by money, really. Uh, I mean, in the U.S. they are, but that's the problem with American democracy. It's run by money. Uh, but in other countries, you know, there is no money. The only ones that, that have money is the, the people in power, the people already in place in powerful political parties. So in order to start a new party uh, without financial resources, you need to have a lot of people that are very much convinced about the possibility of a new idea. And we had a couple of resources. One was that we met every week. Uh, I think that this thing happening in the real world, this community element of actually meeting every Friday night. We had these meetings we called Technology, Politics, Alcohol and Narcotics. Uh, and we met from 7 p.m. until very late at night. And if you were willing to sacrifice uh, that uh, Friday night, uh, then it meant that you really cared about this idea. The idea was to use technology to improve democracy, to have a representative that will always vote according to the Internet was kind of the hook to that principle. And the other element that I think was very much uh, important in, in the reality of this happening was the fact that I had access to a very popular radio show in the city of Buenos Aires. I had a technology column uh, to, on a radio program that reached a million listeners uh, over the whole city of Buenos Aires. So every week I would talk about Wikileaks, I would talk about the Pirate Party, I would talk about Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Aaron Schwartz. And when it came about the idea of sharing the possibility of doing a political party to a million voters in the city of Buenos Aires, it really helped grow the viral effect of all of this. The third element is a very clear goal, uh, to be able to identify uh, the the you know the target of the running for a, for office in 2013 uh, we knew that we had a year and a half when the whole thing started the first meetings was really literally four or five people six people then it, it, it eventually grew to 20 and then very fast grew to 100 and 200 and, and it went really crazy during the, camp the campaign 
so having that goal helped you know really run to the objective of getting the party recognized. We needed four thousand signatures, so we got around six thousand because they usually invalidate a lot of those signatures and um, we got our rights to run for elections in 2013 and then the third the fourth element i would say was the campaign uh, getting the votes putting the ballots out there we had to print uh, five million ballots i think like an insane amount and we had to put those ballots in boxes ourselves and distribute those boxes across every uh, voting place uh, in the city and that was not funded by the government the party had to do it so you had to build an army of uh, 200 people that were willing to sacrifice uh, a Sunday to uh, scrutinize the election because you have to contribute people willing to scrutinize the, the, the vote counting and if you don't contribute people to the vote counting you know that you will get votes stolen uh, and oh holy shit it was really really hard and it's not done with money it's done by conviction uh, it's politics and uh, and uh, it was an incredible process to go through all of that. Um, and how did this process transition into your, your latest project, Democracy Earth? What lessons did you carry from Partido de la Red uh, into, uh, into this you know, blockchain uh, science fiction uh, uh, project that you're working on now? Well, I found out about Bitcoin in the year 2011. Uh, the party started in the year 2012. So while this whole process was happening, also in my life I was experiencing the emergence of this new technology called Bitcoin in a country where I have 50% of inflation rate, um, where um, you know it was forbidden to buy US dollars under the government that we had back then. Uh, so it's it's you know you see this technology happening out of the internet that is giving me financial emancipation from a very corrupt uh, financial system, which is the one in my country. So uh, it was very, a very natural fit when talking about Partido de la Red to the people that were willing to invite us to a conference or to uh, expose our ideas, to talk also about Bitcoin and to talk about these, these technologies and how these new notions of uh, using the internet to empower ourselves down to the individual level are very much a tangible real thing that are having an effective economic impact in those who are uh, crazy enough to take the risk. Now that's the other part, you know, not everyone can take the risk of buying Bitcoin and the high volatility and the uncertainty of a new technology and it does require a significant amount of education to be able to understand how computers work and eventually understand the information theoretic properties that lead to the uh, success of a network that has uh, the implications of what Bitcoin has in terms of computation and, and, and uh, security. So it's now g given that that Partido de la Red did not succeed in electing a representative, that we ran into you know some real constraints in the system there. What did you think you could do with this new technology that you couldn't do in the city council of Buenos Aires? So. What happened was that the experience of Partido de la Red led us to a lot of international exposure because of the precedent we were setting. We ended up doing a, a global TED talk, which was really put our story out there to the world. And, uh, you know, in my view, I started perceiving that there's really two worlds that are clashing. You know, this idea of the land versus the cloud, the governments 
of the land and enforcing through the use of uh, you know the military and you know these different structures of power and then the 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 internet itself as a new alternative to to identity to to power itself to and and now to economics with the emergence of these new protocols so we got you know we started paying, putting a lot of emphasis in the software of what we were trying to build not just getting the candidate elected if we got if we had the candidate elected i think it it would have gotten very bad also because politics is too corrupt um, and it would have been too soon too much too soon for a, a young party like ours we got one percent of the votes which is a lot it's a whole stadium of votes which was very impressive to get for a, an independent party uh, we needed probably three stadiums uh, to get elected, but the 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 software that we started building uh, was uh, being implemented in many places around the world. It was used in Tunisia to debate the new national constitution after the Arab Spring. It was used by a political party in Barcelona, by the Senate of Mexico. So I went deeper into understanding what what would it take to deploy democracies over the internet. And this, the sooner I got involved into that problem, the, the more you start discovering the limitations of what technology can do and the potential that it has when you start really thinking about what, what is the right architecture for, for democracy to flourish anywhere there is access to the internet. So in 2015, uh, we get a grant from Y Combinator and that's when I moved to the United States and start Democracy Earth to, put, uh, to do research and development implementing all kinds of digital democracies in very real contexts uh, uh, across the world and, and understand you know what how, how you know what, what is the best configuration that and the best guarantees that we can get to to be able to have democracies deployed over the internet you're listening to looks like new we're speaking with Santiago Siri founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation a nonprofit building incorruptible digital governance for small and large communities uh, next we'll hear about the community that he's been working on building for the Democratic caucus of the Colorado State House of Representatives did you know you can name KGNU as a beneficiary in your insurance policy or individual retirement account Yes, and you may receive additional financial benefits as well. The next time you meet your advisors to review your estate or long-term financial plans, please remember you can include KGNU. For more information on creating a legacy gift in your name, please call Sarah at 303-449-4885 or visit kgnu.org. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with Santiago Siri. He's the founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation, which is building digital governance tools using blockchain technology based on the same technology as Bitcoin uh, for small and large communities. And now he's working on building a, a tool for the Democratic Caucus of the Colorado State House of Representatives, which was newly elected and had to start thinking about how to prioritize uh, the kinds of initiatives that they wanted to pursue. Um, Santi, tell us about what is happening in the Colorado House and, and why did they turn to Democracy Earth? 
So, um, Glenn White, who is the original author of the quadratic voting idea from his paper in 2012, Glenn is a researcher of uh, Microsoft, and he's the founder of the Radical Exchange Movement that is bringing together activists and, and hackers to start thinking you know, better institutions using technology. He connected me uh, with uh, Representative Chris Hansen of, uh, of the lower house of Colorado, of the Democratic Caucus, and uh, they were interested in implementing quadratic voting to allow 41 legislators of the Democratic Caucus uh, to uh, allocate how they would uh, use quadratic voting to set the preferences of 107 bills. So it was 41 less, yeah. Tell us about what quadratic voting is in particular for people who haven't heard of that before. So quadratic voting is a different way of calculating the votes. Um, everyone gets the same amount of tokens or votes. So let's say everyone gets 100 votes each and you can spend those votes uh, on different options that are given to you. But the more votes you, you put on a same option, it will uh, take from your budget uh, an, an exponentially increasing quantity of credits, let's say credits, uh, the more you spend uh, votes on a given option. So if I put three votes in, a, in an option that I really like, it will cost me nine credits uh, instead of three credits. Uh, because the more votes I put on a, on a same option, it becomes exponentially more expensive to support that option. So this uh, puts a challenge in the voter. Uh, would you rather support many different options but with only a small input? Or you, would you rather put a lot of your in emotional investment in idea, of up to an idea, uh, and just put uh, as many tokens as you can on a single, uh, on a single option? Because you, know, you can speak loudly, but if you really care about something, you have to speak very loudly under quadratic voting. It, it's kind of an ironic uh, uh, model in a sense, because we're very worried about the influence of money in politics. You, know, you talked about that earlier, um, but it, in a way, it's a way of, of putting money into politics in a more structured sense or putting um, a, a differential value, enabling people to rather than uh, uh, fund initiatives that they really care about kind of outside the system, it enables uh, people to prioritize their um, the things they really care about within the voting system itself. Yeah, an interesting thing that I think emerges from QB also is, is, is that when it computes the vote because of this property of how apparently square roots or powers of two behave, is that uh, the winning option will likely be the one that has more votes, but also more legitimacy among the participants. So it, it has this this ability to, to compute votes with a, with a, a greater spirit for con consensus. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very promising way of tallying and computing votes. I think we have to try different uh, variants with different, uh, you know, explore with different types of ballots, different types of uh, economic distributions of the votes. Um, but it's, it is very promising, and this is the first ever implementation in the United States. As far as I know, I think even the first ever official implementation in any government. It's a very novel idea, the one of quadratic voting. Uh, it, it appears in Glenn's book, Radical Markets, and um, 
so we we have to tread cautiously and make sure that we can implement this in very good environments but environments where there's real money at stake where there are real decisions at stake uh, real political power at stake not not uh, simulations that's the challenge of implementing democracies and it's tough to find these cases because no one most people don't want to be democratic sometimes <laughs> and 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 this implementation was about prioritizing things that people wanted to, um, you know, the different representatives to, wanted to bring uh, uh, to the fore. Now, what, um, what, what kind of outcomes uh, uh, came out of, this, out of this process? What did you learn from this early experiment? So we, we're still processing the data. Uh, a couple, you know, some things that we have seen, very preliminary, you know, I, I'm struggling uh, to, to find the mental time to dig through this just yet because this happened actually last week. But we had the 41 legislators voting. We, as there, with three of the voters, we see that there was some kind of uh, uh, erratic behavior on the interface, which we have to uh, analyze and understand if it was a bug on our end or if it's, you know, uh, you know, you know, what what kind of glitch led that led to that uh, uh, problem with the software. Uh, then we we have seen of the 107 bills, only five of them did not get any votes. So there was a very interesting distribution of the votes. Uh, the, the winning proposal was equal pay for equal work. Uh, I would like to see if how would the results change if we didn't apply uh, the QB formula to the tallying of the votes. We have that data, but I haven't made this contrast just yet with the data. Um, but yeah, it's a first experience. Uh, we it's um, the implementing these systems is. It takes a, a lot of effort because you know you know, needs to have very clear rules and, a, in, and an interface that can communicate very clearly also how you engage and participate with those rules. Uh, so um, it was a very challenging implementation, but uh, I think it's 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 one of the most important ones that we have done so far. So you were able actually to test how uh, the outcome would compare if they had used a, a conventional voting mechanism as opposed to quadratic voting. Yeah, we can, we can extrapolate that. But it's, uh, the truth is that quadratic voting already changes how your mind works as a voter. So we can mm -hmm. never know for sure. We have how, seen how is research. That? Say more about how it changes your mind, how your mind well, works as a voter. So when you start distributing votes in different proposals, and you realize that you really want to support something that maybe you weren't aware of, uh, the revision of your vote is much more common to happen under QB because of how this formula behaves. You know, I'm putting, oh, suddenly I find that cause I really care about. Shall I, what other causes shall I sacrifice if I really want to engage supporting this? this is, it, it allows to, to more revision in the voter. We have seen this in some, in some research that was actually led by, by Glenn himself. Um, so, but in, you know, it's important to communicate how these rules play out. QB still, I think it's a newborn idea. You know, this is it's, this is very exciting news to see uh, the state of Colorado pioneering this for the whole world to see. Uh, I think there's a huge demand in society to see the innovation in democracy, um, and we realized this because you know I wasn't I was it was it really caught me by surprise the repercussion when we announced this news had. Uh, it was the most uh, important news we had as an organization coming from Democracy Earth since, since in these past four years. Um, 
Uh, we have implemented all kinds of, of voting schemes. We have implemented liquid democracy, participatory budgeting, direct democracy, ranked choice, the Trojan politician in a very important decision in the National Congress in Argentina. Uh, this one with quadratic voting is, is another idea that we get to see in a real context. And, uh, and, but it, it is very promising because I like this, this you know, we do democracy when we have deep disagreements. Democracy comes to, to save us when there are deep disagreements. And to find a way of reaching a, a, a decision that at the same time can guarantee a wider uh, level of legitimacy within the constituency participating, I think is a very promising uh, idea. Uh, we have to take into account that they, the reason we have the 51% democracies we have today is based on also scientific ideas like the ones from Condorcet in the 18th century, uh, sorry, 19th century. So um, uh, we are in the 21st and we have computers and we have this new medium and we interact over social media and we, we know already how to social media can lead to, to incredible stuff sometimes and, and very nasty stuff some other times. So, uh, but we need to adapt democracy to this new reality where speech is happening. Tell, tell us a bit more about, give us a bit of a tour of some of those t techniques that you just described, you know, like liquid democracy or uh, uh, you know, other, other models you mentioned. Um, what are voters, what are our citizens, participants in democratic processes missing out on uh, that they could be, uh, uh, could have access to through these kinds of techniques? You know, when we're just used to putting our, uh, checking a box and putting it in the ballot box, what else could we be doing that would, um, uh, uh, that might better represent us and, and uh, uh, instill greater legitimacy into our political systems? Oh, there's a lot, and um, I can. I just tweeted about this this morning, so I have my tweets here to help me. Uh, but you have liquid democracy. There is this idea where you can vote directly on issues or delegate voting power to someone you already know and trust. Uh, what we have seen here is that in very high stakes elections, we did it, we did this for the peace referendum uh, in Colombia in 2016, where we did a shadow referendum, not an official one for the Colombian expats to have an ability to vote. A lot of them were not able to vote in the official election, but we have seen a, a small amount of delegations happening. Less than 3% were willing to delegate their vote. Uh, this might have to do with an issue of interface. Uh, we have done research with Google in, in relation to how to develop interfaces for, for liquid democracies. Uh, but it's, it's you know, you, you find an idea and, and sometimes you find a problem from an aspect that you were not expecting to. We have done also participatory budgeting, uh, which is a very interesting methodology that comes from Brazil, where people vote on how to allocate a budget to different options in that budget. We specifically have done this for blockchain projects. We have worked with uh, Blockstack, for example, doing this and uh, allocating a budget of $100,000 in Bitcoin every month to developers building on top of Blockstack. The token holders decided how to allocate this budget. And again, you see selfish voting happening. Sometimes you see voters that want to reward their own baby in, the, in these race. Uh, and that's fine. It's a legitimate kind of voting, but might, might trump the, the, the quality of the greater good. You know, this, this, we're trying to fight the tragedy of the commons here. Um, 
Then there's uh, direct democracy. We have done implementations of direct democracy in our own political party, actually in Argentina, when we had very high stakes uh, decisions. We saw uh, those that were in charge of the identity registry, those that were in charge of giving voter rights, could lead to manipulating that registry by accelerating certain ac accounts to be generated and delaying other accounts to be generated. So there's conflict among who gets the right to vote or not. And that can trump the uh, decision of an election. Um, ranked choice is another way. Uh, we have done this for the city congress of Buenos Aires. We got civil attacked, which is uh, a party did a lot of fake accounts uh, to push their own idea within the ranked choice system. Uh, and it was the communists uh, in, the, in the city of Buenos Aires. Uh, we have done the Trojan politician when we, the abortion legislation was debated in the National Congress in Argentina. A politician pledged to vote according to the internet, but then the politician chose, had an, an ambivalence on his subjective point of view on how he would agree to this vote on the internet. Um, so we have a very strong track record of uh, doing, implementing uh, innovative democracies in very real contexts, some of them political, some of them with money at stake, some of them both. Um, and we try to learn from all of this. We are, uh, the most important thing in all of this, the common pattern, is that they all try to be attacked in some way. And what is important coming from us as a foundation, as a non-profit organization, an independent entity, is to communicate exactly how these attacks happen so we can improve these systems out in the open. Mm. And, and so, you know, it seems like you're creating all these different new layers um, uh, within the democratic process, you know, seeing what happens when um, people who otherwise wouldn't have access to the vote can vote um, or um, uh, uh, enabling people to appoint representatives like through a liquid democracy system just for one issue. Uh, or to allow them to appoint representatives who appoint representatives, or, or to um, uh, you know, turn representatives into something very different, where they actually are expected to, to um, uh, vote according to what a platform tells them. So it's, it's, it's kind of complexifying uh, uh, democratic practice. Do you see any, do you, do you sense any concern that it could just make people um, more overwhelmed with all the political options that might be before them. What, you know, what would it be like to live in a world where um, we're using 20 different voting systems to make decisions and, and people are having to keep track of all their different mechanisms of possible participation? So I think we're all in a stage of confusion with uh, modern politics and, and you know, how, 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 everything is, how everything works. With the, with the influence of the internet, now we are seeing, in, you know, I think the most element, most transcendental element since the election of Donald Trump in the United States is the fact that there's a very serious suspicion of a Russian intervention in the most powerful election, democratic election in the world. And if that's actually happening, then the very concept of the nation state, which relies on this principle of non-domestic intervention, no state should meddle in the affairs of another state, if not even the U.S. is protected from that, then it means we are, you know, in a in a very engaging in a very different political game as we are becoming much more connected over the internet. And I think people want to participate. You see a lot of uh, of of manifestation of this everywhere. Uh, you you put your attention to, uh, and I think now we have much much more inter interesting mechanisms to build alternatives to established systems of power and. 
in all of this complexity, you know, what we're doing is trying out, trialing different ideas, learning from these ideas. But the, I think this, the, the opportunity is definitely on the side of what technology is allowing in the sense of, uh, you know, start building systems that put uh, the trust not in authority, which might be corruptible, but in mathematics through the use of cryptography and their digital networks. The emergence of blockchain-based networks, I think, is tremendous promise. I think we're witnessing also a, a generational divide. That's the biggest divide that we can see. If you track Brexit or Trump or you know any any vote in the important vote in the last years, is really the, the you know it's the old people that are, are participating more in the old system and old ideas are winning more over there, and the new people are cutting out with new technology and creating a new alternative that hopefully wants to make that old system obsolete. So we, we, we are, you know, these, these new realities are happening right in front of our eyes. I think that no one can deny anymore the economic influence of the internet as measured in the, in the total capitalization of crypto networks uh, and that that phenomenon will keep on growing. Uh, pretty much like Marxism in the 20th century was the political experiment of that century. I think blockchain is definitely the political experiment of the 21st century. And in, we, we have tremendous opportunities to, to scale trust better and to make our institutions less corruptible. And, uh, but at the same time, we face new challenges on how we can effectively recognize each other on the internet and be sure that we can you know, make decisions uh, that can you know, improve society and not make it even more Orwellian than it is today, whether you look at the West or you look at the East. You're listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We've been speaking with Santiago Siri, founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation, which is building digital governance tools for uh, communities of all sorts. And, and the community he's been working with most recently is the Democratic Caucus of the Colorado State House of Representatives, uh, which is employing his tools and a mechanism called quadratic voting to uh, determine its priorities. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by the KGNU Listener members and by Quish Sustainable Wealth. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. This month, we're speaking with Santiago Siri, who's the founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation, a nonprofit building incorruptible digital governance for small and large communities using blockchain technology. And he's been working with the Democratic Caucus of the Colorado State House of Representatives uh, to implement a mechanism called called quadratic voting on his platform. And this is uh, the first time a, a government in the United States has adopted this kind of mechanism as a way to, um, uh, to sort out its own priorities. Um, Santi, you know, we've been talking about the promise of bringing politics more into uh, online platforms, into uh, incorruptible protocols, transferring uh, political life more into the math, as you, as you said earlier. Um, but I'm curious about all the other parts of politics that um, don't seem to fit into a voting mechanism. You know, n politics is not all about voting, right? There's also relationships and compromise and party discipline and spectacle and charisma, you know, and we certainly see the power of these things in a moment like this, um, uh, it, it, given the kinds of political forces that have been uh, emerging in recent years. Can those things 
be replaced by a platform or or challenged by a platform? Should they be? Are we willing to lose that really like human stuff of politics um, by transferring uh, our systems more over to the algorithms and the math? So uh, that's a great question, and I I I, I don't think it, it, we should fear the algorithm in the sense that we should not necessarily because of the fact that we are using algorithms to communicate with each other uh, we should uh, have let the algorithm have the final say and i think you know this we think a, a lot about this at democracy earth we see that the only frontier worth drawing in the 21st century is this one between machine intelligence and human intelligence and to be really aware where there is one and, or and when there is the other one because we know that machine intelligence by definition will be limited to to the spectrum of what we humans how we humans perceive life and and um, the I, I i i agree with you that voting voting is the political economic transaction that we do uh, and it's just you know we take it uh, from that perspective we, you know we look at it as a problem strictly of political economy how people make choices within institutions and and, and make decisions within, you know, we can record storm and help make those decisions more transparent and, and, and scale the ability to, to trust. Um, but this element, you know, you asked me about the success of the Partido de la Red, a lot of our success owes to the efforts that we did away from keyboard. And uh, I think that the, our most successful marketing strategy was literally building a Trojan horse and going through the streets of Buenos Aires with a four meter, I guess it's 10 feet tall Trojan horse and people, you know, asking where the hell did these people come from and why are they going around the city with a Greek mythological Greek beast? Um, so the, the, the real element of politics matters a lot. And, and even in blockchain space, you know, I, I know about the reality of some of the blockchain communities and there's real power struggles, serious power struggles. Uh, and, and you know we need to be honest about this because we have a chance at building something better. If we empower the evil in the old stuff that we want to get rid of, then uh, then it's it's um, it's stuck. It's, it's it's not worth it. That's right. I mean, it, it seems like sometimes the the you know people interested in in you know digital politics you know have this kind of very there's there can be a very narrow vision about what politics is that we need to transfer into our digital technologies, and then they end up being surprised when you know things like charismatic authority and and you know and 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 wealth, um, other kinds of forces that always operate around politics. Um, uh, you know, come back and 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 culture is so integrally related with how we make decisions and and what we permit and what we don't permit. Um, you know, and that's something we we're certainly seeing now with Trump and other figures around the world. Is there, you know, in some ways the most terrifying thing for the political establishment is that they're breaking the unwritten rules, right? They're doing they're they're doing the things that aren't necessarily illegal, but just have never you know have never been. You know, culturally permissible, and, and and that seems to be shaking the system at its at its core. Yeah, uh, I I even you know in my own personal experience with politics uh, in Argentina, I was a candidate for Congress, and going through that experience, and and also uh, as a human, you try to exploit your own charismatic elements, and very soon you 
people start talking to you in the ear and you might start drinking your own Kool-Aid. Uh, and that's the very first step to become that thing that you never wanted to become, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a very... Uh, dealing with power, uh, dealing with, 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 you know, with these, these forces on, on, especially at the very high levels, is, is a huge responsibility. Um, so I think that's the argument in favor of finding mechanisms that can help make our institutions better. Finding mechanisms that can help bring more power uh, to more people. Uh, you know, ultimately information is a tremendous force in our universe. Uh, the, the reason we have nations is actually a consequence of the rise of the printing press. Is the rise of an information uh, technology of you know 500 years ago, and we're going through the same process all over again today. Now with a with a much wider conscious uh, perception of the planet as a whole. Um, so I think we need you know new generations, especially, have responsibility to start thinking. You know we how we we have already globalized financial assets. How we globalize political rights, uh, because the governance of the planet I think is 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 definitely the challenge to come as if Elon Musk is right, we become an interplanetary species. Then we'll have um, a galactic war between Earth and Mars someday, which will be a problem for my grandchildren. <laughs> right. I mean, you're, you're adopting the borders of the internet, you know, which are in, in many ways, though in, maybe this is less and less the case, um, uh, uh, respective of the borders of you know, political uh, entities. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. At, at the same time, the internet is leading us to discover new borders. Like the, in, in the environment of crypto networks, it, the tribalism is very much present. Uh, these borders seem to be bounded by like, adherence to an ideology. So if you are leaning towards conservative or uh, uh, you know, Austrian economics, you might very much dig uh, the value of Bitcoin. If you are, um, you know, uh, I guess by contrast, usually uh, communities build identity in contrast to the neighbor. So if you are leaning to the opposite of that, you might find interesting stuff happening with Ethereum. And I think every crypto network is generating tribes and new kinds of nationalism, but bounded in in code, in, in, in ideas about economics that can happen in information space. And this is also emergence of tribal stuff, uh, which is, I think, uh, also an interesting element of the nature of you know, how we are as... Uh, Aristotle would say we are political animals, son, son politicon. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're still that even in the internet. And you know, we could imagine a situation where the nation state becomes less important, right? And, and these internet tribes become more important. If we're getting more important services from them, we're, we're making decisions through them uh, in different ways. Um, you know, we could imagine a much more kind of complex world, a much more even tribalistic world, um, as well as a world in which uh, there is a greater sense of unity and maybe a kind of human universalism that we haven't been able to have before. Um, because, you know, we, for the first time, might have the option of making decisions together across boundaries. The, there's, in every struggle, there's always two sides, the, the internal and the external. <laughs> uh, 
and I'd say you know in the internal you know there's interesting to see the different uh, clashes of ideas even you know you can go within Bitcoin itself like the biggest debate that it had in 2017 was whether increasing or not increasing the size of the blocks from one megabyte to two megabytes you know and, and that led to a huge divide in the community uh, so you, you know it's all this uh, politics is ultimately dealing with conflict, uh, dealing with the unexpected, and uh, dealing with power. Um, but uh, I think it's important to keep the light of democracy alive. Uh, democracy is the one ideology that is not absolute, it's not totalitarian, it's the one exception to all the other ideologies because it's simply a, a mechanism about how we implement a mechanism. <laughs> it's kind of uh, open-ended. It's always a work in progress. So um, we we want to support that idea uh, in every way we, we can. Right. The philosopher Jack Derrida talked about uh, democracy as as democracy to come. You know, always this thing that is in the future, this thing that you can never quite hold. Um, what What are the next test cases that you're looking for? You know, if you could, if you could when you fantasize about where you'd like to try out the tools that you're building, uh, uh, you know, what are you looking toward? What are you hoping uh, will, will, uh, you know, you'll be able to, to try this out on? So as, as we look deeper into the problem, we try to understand what is the one single thing that we should put focus and attention on in order to have the largest possible impact. And that I would say that when it comes to democratic systems, we have tremendous promise with the rise of decentralized networks in the sense that these are environments that should be censorship resistant. But uh, within that context, to do, to do voting is actually extremely hard because these are computational environments where it's extremely easy to generate an identity. So even easier than the web itself. So extremely cheap identities lead to uh, uh, many ways of gaming democratic decision-making processes. So, so if you thought that all the troll, uh, you know, Russian trolls on Twitter uh, uh, were overwhelming, th these kinds of networks are vulnerable to even more of that kind of abuse, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is civil space, like they say in the technical jargon, uh, because to generate a new address that you can use to signal your identity within the network is, is you know, takes two clicks. To generate a new email address in the web, it might take a little bit longer and there are some checks now. But anyway, you can still buy for 10 cents uh, thousands of addresses in Gmail, you know, or in any, you know, these this markets, these black markets already exist. Uh, so it's also a problem that we are inheriting from digital space, not just, you know, crypto peer-to-peer -peer space. What peer-to-peer what -peer space allows is censorship resistance, which is extremely important to allow for free speech. Uh, a precondition for democracy to flourish anywhere. Um, so the the challenge that we that we try to, to to look into that is finding you know we are working with great researchers in trying to understand how to formalize voter rights uh, over decentralized networks. Um, and we are also engaging ourselves in the governance of a lot of projects that are happening in the blockchain space, which is in, on the cutting edge of governance. You're looking less to governments um, like the you know Colorado House of Representatives and more to some of these emerging communities that are um, building their governance from scratch right now uh, around you know cultures of Bitcoin and so forth. No, we have the capacity to look at both. 
we're very proud of what we have done with Colorado. We have worked with senates, congresses, NGOs, universities, uh, political parties. We, 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 we have a track record of working in those environments. I think that uh, you know, our, our, our responsibility is to bridge these two, these two worlds. It's important to understand how we can bridge these, new, these two new realities. Uh, we have a legacy political system that everyone is inheriting across the whole world. And we cannot just break apart from that. Uh, like there's a lot of uh, blood, tears, and sweat. I don't know how Churchill said it, but uh, that took effort to establish these institutions. And just breaking apart from all of that, you know, being extremely revolutionary, I don't think that leads anywhere good. Uh, I mean, I think we do need to create a new layer that can interact with that legacy system, and we need to inject into that legacy system uh, political ideas that favor much more this new layer, like what we did with the political party in Argentina. We are seeing actually Partidos de la Red, like the one we did in Argentina, there's one running in, in national elections in Uruguay this year. Uh, Chile has an elected congressman with Giorgio Jackson. Wikipolitica in Mexico has an elected congressman. We have seen the rise of these parties, these digital parties in Latin America in, in the last 10 years, which is interesting because Latin America as a whole is a very young democracy. Uh, with the exception of probably a couple of communist countries and, and, and uh, Mexico, uh, which had a very corrupt democracy with one party. Uh, so the, it, it's, I think it's important to, to look at the two worlds. Uh, I, I have a technical bias because I'm a programmer and I spend most of my attention looking at code on my daily routine. But uh, because we believe in the, in the value of creating technology and technology that can be deployed anywhere. That's, that's where the opportunity is. Well, it's not every um, uh, programmer who has run for political office as well. And so you've seen, you've seen both sides of, these, uh, uh, of, of this equation here. Um, what do you, um, you know, is there an experience uh, to end here that you that has motivated you to continue this work, to believe that democracy is is even worth pursuing? I mean, we live in a moment where um, global polls seem to suggest that uh, faith in democracy as a way of doing things is actually on the decline. What makes you uh, 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 work to uh, build up this tradition of uh, democratic life? We, I, you know, it's, it's, when it comes to, to democracy, it, it's interesting, you know, you, we all have different experiences with it in different contexts, different organizations. Uh, sometimes we put a lot of weight on, on how we want a given vote to, to uh, you know, the outcome of a given election. And sometimes we might be even surprised when something that we don't like wins, but ends up being, you know, better. Or, you know, we, we, I think that there are positive elements to the experience of being, living in democratic societies that we take for granted, that we, we, we shouldn't just take for granted, that are very valuable. Uh, democracies allow for free speech. Um, free speech, you know, I, I just been in China uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know, we take for granted the ability that we can say absolutely anything on the internet, and we have rights to our privacy, and I think those are properties, democratic properties, you know, the properties that can have their best guarantee in systems where there is, you are allowed to have divergence uh, of ideas or, or different voices. 
And democracy is really calculating the force that you give to voices and trying to give equal force to, to every voice that can participate in, in the betterment of society. Uh, but of course, uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I think we are in a world that is very much uh, changing in, in very profound ways. Um, you know, at the same time, I, I saw actually very positive things in China. For example, their their policies on cli climate change are extremely visible across all of Beijing, with every single motorbike running in with electric engines. Every single motorbike. How have they done that? Uh, and I don't know. May, you know, there are extremely valuable lessons for the West. Of you know, in those parts, we are seeing China becoming more more capitalist. And even better, better at capitalism than the capitalists themselves, and we are seeing America also pushing for new ideas like universal basic income, which, quite frankly, are very much socialist leaning. And uh, so, this is, I think, civilization facing itself, the fact that it's becoming uh, one entity, uh, and that we need to really build these bridges between the West and the East, and. Uh, I think that the internet is a very, very important common language to create uh, this Silk Road. Well, thank you so much for for joining us and for um, and for helping to make uh, Colorado a, um, a laboratory for for the work that you're doing. As an Argentine living in America, I live in California. I live in New York. Colorado has a great reputation. Uh, so it's, uh, I've been there once or twice in road trips, uh, but uh, hopefully I can visit soon. And, and yeah, it's, it's already one of my favorite states, uh, also because of this QV experiment. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of interesting things uh, um, in the works here. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Santiago Siri. He's the founder of the Democracy Earth Foundation, a nonprofit building incorruptible digital governance for small and large communities. And one of the communities that we've been talking about that he's building for is the Colorado uh, uh, State House of Representatives Democratic Caucus. They've been using uh, Democracy Earth uh, technology to uh, prioritize what kinds of uh, initiatives they're going to work toward in this legislative session. Um, and this is a really, uh, this is a first uh, employing a technique called quadratic voting to uh, de determine these priorities in ways that, that other methods might not reveal. Um, uh, his tool has been uh, increasingly employed around the world and uh, is part of a vision for uh, advancing democracy in radical ways. Find out more about Democracy Earth at democracy.earth. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. Looks Like New is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab. You can find out more about our work at cmci.colorado.edu slash medlab, M-E-D-L-A-B. If you liked what you heard, please spread the word about this show and consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you with comments and uh, guest ideas. You can reach me at medlab at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month.
Thank you.